Good to be here with everyone. Thank you for the privilege of sharing. Uh, I have been here before, but it's been a while. I don't know if uh, any of you uh, can remember the while or not that it's been. <laughs> um, I am Karen's youngest baby brother, and so she likes to remind me of that. And, of course, especially when I come to her house, uh, I get put in my place. You know, family reunions are really wonderful occasions to uh, remember who you are <laughs> and where you came from. Uh, and, and we've been doing a bit of that this uh, weekend with especially mom and dad, grandma and grandpa, celebrating their 70th wedding anniversary. How many of you were here for that? All right, awesome. Nice. Okay, cool. Um, so, right, um, I think coming back to the Twin Cities is a bit like a, a homecoming for me. I did go to St. Olaf College my freshman year, and I did go to Luther Seminary and was ordained in 1985 as a pastor, and I served in Japan for 15 years as a missionary um, and also taught at the seminary. Uh, currently, I am teaching in uh, South Florida, uh, so I'm an educator, but also a very involved in campus ministry among the uh, youth on campus. And it's awesome. I just absolutely love it and have a passion for that age group, you know, 18 to 22, 24, 5, whatever. Uh, there's just so full of questions and asking, you know, why and what and whatever. <laughs> and uh, we get to explore that together. I teach comparative religion. Uh, uh, one of the courses that they are required to take with me is contemporary ethical issues. So you name it, we cover it. We talk about it all. And I tell them nothing's off the table, nothing you know, that you don't want to uh, talk about. So we, uh, we, we, we really do try to get a bead on what is going on in our young adults' lives uh, and find ways to address them. But it's not a Christian school. So I address this in kind of a neutral, but they know who I am, <laughs> way uh, that allows for some real honest uh, give and take, which is what we're going to do here today as well. Uh, Paul tells me you like to do that, and uh, there's no question that is not appropriate. You just ask and fire away, okay? I'm fair game. So uh, we may leave some time at the end for that. I, I do have something on my heart that God has placed there, I, I believe, a word for you and for our world that uh, is sorely in need of maybe hearing this message. Uh, certainly, uh, I needed to hear it, and it's really worked uh, uh, a deep uh, healing in my own life. Uh, so if, I, if you'll permit me to share uh, some, some personal journeys, uh, but also how the Lord uh, speaks to that and hopefully to uh, all of you in some way. Or another, if you'll open your heart with me. Lord, we just pray that you would come now. And may our hearts and minds and ears be open to hear your word in whatever way you wish to get through to us. Break down those barriers. Come with a reckless love and chase after us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have your Bibles... And you like to follow along, though n not required. <laughs> um, I'm going to read uh, several different uh, places out of our wonderful Word of God, beginning with the Torah, which, as you know, is, is God's law, the pathway 
that keeps us in relationship with him. It was the covenant that was given to the children of Israel. And I'm going to begin with Leviticus chapter 19, verse 34. Uh, it's, it's one of the over 600 laws that God gave the children of Israel. But this is one that really spoke to me recently as I uh, read it. And I want to begin my address with you by reading this, and then we will carry on from there. Leviticus chapter 19, verse, actually, let's begin with 33. Again, part of the Mosaic Code, the Torah law. And God spoke and said thus, through Moses, the mouthpiece to the children of Israel. Listen. When a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. For the foreigner residing among you must be treated as your native-born. Love them as yourself, for you were once foreigners in Egypt. I am the Lord your God. I love that. Almost every single one of these commandments ends with, listen up, I'm God speaking here. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering, I'm the Lord your God. Okay, so what does he say? He says, when a foreigner resides among you in your land, do not mistreat them. You know, I remember having a professor once who said, if there's something that says do thus, it means it's exactly what's not happening. <laughs> do the calculations in your mind a little bit. If God has to say this, guess what's happening? <laughs> exactly right. They're being mistreated. The foreigners living in our midst. And if a foreigner is residing among you, he must be treated as a native-born, as a citizen, as one of your very own. Why don't you forget you were once foreigners, aliens, living in a land sojourning, not just in Egypt, mind you, but for 40 years hence, before they were brought back into the land that God had promised them, right? You remember your history with the children of Israel. Okay, I don't want to belabor the point. I have a lot of ground to cover. And when Pastor Nay asked if I would speak today, and I asked him how much time I had, I, you know, was really excited because I'm used to giving 75, 90-minute lectures. Now, don't worry, I'm not going to do that for you today. But that's what I get to do in the classroom, okay? And we also want some Q&A time and some give and take, too. So, But, um, you know, if you'll hang with me, uh, and maybe God will show up and speak to you. So just open your minds here now and, and listen. I'm not from this country. I know I look it. And usually people do a double take when I say, this is not home. I know very little about America except what I learned from my parents growing up in Japan. That's right. I was born in Kyoto, which was the ancient capital and I grew up in a town uh, nearby, actually. It was, uh, for those of you who know your geography, Shizuoka Ken Shimadashi. But that's neither here nor there. But I was the only Caucasian living in that little city uh, besides my parents. And my older sister Karen and Steve were off at the dorm going to an American school up in Tokyo. I, you know, you don't question these things. It was just like, oh, well, that's what they do. Uh, my sister Miriam was at home homeschooling. They sent me to a Japanese kindergarten and through um, 
Japanese uh, elementary school, and my first language growing up was Japanese, and all my friends around me were Japanese, and all my you know shows I watched on television, all the you know I don't know those like paradigms that you have that kind of shape your worldview. That was totally immersed in this culture called Japan, which by the way was what I thought I was a part of. I identified with that. It was my culture, except. Along the way, maybe around six, seven, eight, you know, as we get older, these things are taught, they're learned. It's not innate within us. When I looked at people around me, I identified myself with them, but suddenly people around me started looking at me and saying, but you don't look like us. <laughs> and I said, what do you mean? Well, you have blonde hair, blue eyes. Yeah, well, whatever. <laughs> I'm still part of you. No, you're not. And I started hearing the word, which in English is you're a foreigner, you're alien, you are from another place. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm really not from somewhere else. I'm from here. This is where I was born, raised. This is my language. This is, you're my peeps. <laughs> well, no, I guess I learned that actually that wasn't going to happen because I was Caucasian, blue-eyed, blonde-haired, and there still are places in the world where those sorts of things kind of end up tripping us up. Now, if we think about it, it probably happens around us everywhere. But for me, growing up in a country that was very homogenous, I sort of stood out. <laughs> and I, as I said, had a hard time kind of coming to terms with this idea of being an alien in a foreign land. But it gets more interesting. I came back here for college Right? That's what we used to do as missionary kids. You know, our parents were serving there for 40 years in ministry. And, uh, but, you know, they took me to the airport one day. I was 18. I had my suitcases in hand. They put me on the plane and said, see you later. <laughs> All right. And, and I sailed across the Pacific, and I was like, whoa. <laughs> this is where it gets real. <laughs> uh, I got off the plane. Yeah. Okay, so, but now I speak primarily English. So, yeah. I only spoke English in the home with my parents because I thought they were weird. <laughs> I, seriously, I thought, well, that's their language. That's the only time I used English. And I did speak English with an accent growing up, so I had to go to special reading classes when I started going to an international school. Yeah, it's, it's kind of embarrassing, isn't it, Sarah? It's a little, yeah, speech therapy, because I couldn't say my R's and my L's and that sort of thing. It's, uh, yeah, talk about feeling weird. Okay, so uh, kind of out of fish, out of water. But I came to this country, and here's the weirdness. Went to St. Olaf College, went to my, everyone's going to the game, right? Let's go to the game. Okay, cool, what's the game? Football game, what's football? <laughs> uh, how do you play this sport? I'm looking at this stuff, and I'm going, I don't know this. I don't know this. And, 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 and to make it worse, everyone stood at the beginning because they were starting to play this music. Bum, 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 bum. And I said, what's that? That's the Star Spangled Banner. What's that? What, everyone's singing? What are the words to this? I've never sung it before. Basically, okay, I'm painting a little bit of a dramatically, probably, uh, black and white picture, but that's kind of the idea behind it. This was not my country. I didn't know American football. I didn't know the national anthem, and I certainly did not know how to pledge allegiance to the American flag. I was a fish out of water. I was an alien in Japan, and I was an alien, guess what, in the country that I had citizenship in. All right. Now, why am I telling you this? Not to say, oh, poor Marky. Okay, don't, by the way, don't call me Marky. Only Karen gets to call me Marky. <laughs> Because she's my big sis. All right. 
<laughs> um, back pedal a little bit to when I was about 14, 15. I developed what's called the proverbial teenage attitude. I was in Japan, and we all go through this. That's why I love young adults, because I go, oh yeah, I've been there, done that, I know who you are. You can't hide, all right. Grew my hair as long as I could down past my shoulders. Started wearing the patch jeans, the leather jacket, the big motorcycle boots. And I gave my parents hell, okay? Let's just be honest about it. It was like, Mom and Dad, I'm going to embarrass you to no end because I really am mad at the world. That's what it was. I'm mad at this world that I don't belong in. Okay? But, of course, I didn't know how to express that except by just sort of acting out, which, you know. And, yeah, I did some pretty bad stuff. We won't go there, okay? But <laughs> we just don't need to. Uh, uh, but I, I just want you to know I, I walked that journey out of frustration, out of really not knowing a place of belonging. So my parents started working in Tokyo. We moved up to the big city, and they uh, were asked to work at a... Uh, Japanese Lutheran church called Koishika Lutheran Kyokai in Sugamo, which is like the heart of Tokyo. It's a very urban environment. It's kind of a fun place to be. And as a teenager, I sort of like thought it was kind of cool to live in Tokyo. And that's actually where I met my wonderful, beautiful wife, Shirley, at school as teenagers. And, uh, uh, you know, that story comes a little bit later, but, you know, I got my head screwed on right just about the time I met her. And I think God used her to help make that happen. Uh, you know, 17 and 16, she was only 16, and we started dating, and, you know, the rest is history, as they say, and we got married about four years later, and we're coming up on our 40th next year, so, which is pretty cool, you know. God does do miracles, all right, and, 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 and he, he teaches us wonderful things and, 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 and shapes us up, but here's what happened for me, and this is where I want to go with this, uh, because I, I, believe, I believe this is the heart of our faith, so I'm going to get back to scripture in a moment, but listen, I was going to Koishika Lutheran Church. It's, it's uh, actually called Little Rock, if you will, a uh, translation of it, Koishika, uh, in Tokyo. Kind of a cool name. Yeah, I never thought of that before, but Little Rock Lutheran Church, okay? My mom came from Rock Creek. <laughs> it's kind of cool, right? Rock Creek Lutheran Church. Anyway, just made that connection. So I was going to Little Rock Lutheran Church, Koishika Lutheran Church, and I was, again, acting out and showing up as horribly dressed as I could think of possibly, to embarrass my dad, who was the pastor there. Now, he's working alongside a Japanese Lutheran pastor, and his name was Kojima-sensei, which means Pastor Kojima. And my parents went to Pastor Kojima and said, we're so embarrassed at our son. Now, at this point, I'm the only one left at home, so my siblings weren't around to try to shape me up. Karen's gone, Steve's gone, Miriam's gone. I'm living at home with my, my parents as the youngest. And like I said, giving them hell. And, but I showed up the way I was at church, and they came to Pastor Kojima and said, we're so embarrassed, we don't know what to do. How many parents have ever said that before? <laughs> right? It happens. I have four kids, I know. <laughs> God, God has a sense of humor. I, I, I had to live a little of this myself, but it's okay. It's kind of fun. It's cool. They're all doing great now. You know, but we all go through that. So... Kojima-sensei looked right back at my mom and dad and said, so what? He's showing up. And that's what matters. Let him come the way he is. 
patch jeans, boots, leather jacket, greasy long hair. Does not matter. What matters is he's here. And I remember kind of hearing that, and I thought, well, that's different. I, I, I guess this is not not going to work out so well for me. I thought I was really sticking it to them. <laughs> so I kept coming. And I started looking around me, and I started noticing what kind of a community of faith this was. And Kojima-sensei, it turns out, had a real heart for doing ministry among the deaf, the hard of hearing, those who needed sign, sign language to be able to communicate. And he was very adept at it, and he had a passion in his heart for them, and he went out of his way to draw them into this community. But his vision was, instead of creating this sort of separate, like, oh, out there in that address, separate community where they did the sign language for the deaf people, church, he fully integrated them fully integrated them into this community where everything was done both in sign language and spoken language simultaneously. Which if you haven't noticed, some of us have sort of like gotten passionate about this ourselves and we sometimes do sign, signing with, with, uh, with, with, along with song. Because all of that was always done before. But the really cool thing is this, folks. These people were never, ever led to believe that they did not matter, that they were somehow out there, over there, you know, put in a kind of a, a box or a bubble or kept at safe difference, uh, uh, distance, you know, arm's length. You know how we do that. Okay. Completely integrated. And, oh, by the way, not just the deaf, but also anyone who happened to show up. This church began to get a name for itself as a place where it was safe to show up in your long hair and jeans and whatever you looked like. It didn't matter. Kojima-sensei was passionate about welcoming everyone because everyone counted, mattered, belonged. Now, as a, you know, if you're a teenager, the really cool thing about young adults is they don't let anything get by. I mean, they can smell inauthenticity from a mile away. And there's a lot of that in the church, <laughs> dare we say. I've seen it, you know. It's, 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 it's all around us in society. It's, it's, it's everywhere in our world, in our daily lives. But the church of all places, it really smacks as a kind of a real affront because we kind of know better, but when it happens, we're like, oh. well, here we had Kojima-sensei who was saying, you belong. You can't hear? It's okay. You belong. You're going to come in your patch jeans and whatever? It doesn't matter. You belong here, Mark. You're part of this. And I began to have an awareness of what true ecclesia was, what these kinds of gatherings are meant to be, you know, the, the real heart of our faith. The early church had an earth-shaking experience of course, those 12 scattered when it all came crashing down. And by all accounts, it probably never should have succeeded. They ran at the cross. They locked their doors because they were afraid they were going to get taken next. But Jesus breathes the Holy Spirit on them, and the whole place explodes. 
how do you go from 12, barely hanging on, to over 2 billion? Count them, over 2 billion today. Now, I teach comparative religion, by the way. It's my passion and expertise. And I traveled the world last year on sabbatical doing research. And I'm telling you, wherever I went, where two or three were gathered in Christ's name, he was present, whether they were speaking Portuguese or Arabic or Chinese. All these cultures, I was there with them and saw it. Jesus has made this happen in the power of the Holy Spirit because this early gathering of people listened to what was happening in their midst. And it blew them away, by the way. This is like, this shouldn't happen. It's not supposed to work this way. In fact, Peter at first is like, are you sure, Lord? <laughs> Listen to this from Acts 10. Take a look at this if you have it. Good, I'm still good with time. I want to be sensitive. Look at Acts 10 with me, will you? To me, this is where, I, I, know, I know the Pentecost story is where we have our birthday of the church, but I like to say Acts 10 is where it takes shape. I think this is the pivotal moment in our history as a community of faith where we begin to understand God's vision for this new covenant, what that might look like, the ecclesia, the people he calls out, because he calls people you would never expect. I mean, we know about the disciples, okay, the 12 of them, but remember, they're all coming out of the tribes of Israel. This is where it gets broken open, and those 12 are like aghast and agape at first, like, really? God, you're asking us to do what? You know the story well, so we don't have to spend a lot of time reading every verse, but this is the story of Cornelius, right, in Caesarea. I got to spend a little time there in the Holy Land on sabbatical, about two months, and uh, got to go to Caesarea. I also got to go to Joppa, where Simon the Tanner's house is. It talks about, you talk about, you know, if you've all, how many have been to the Holy Land? I know many of you have. It, it, scripture comes alive. Boom. You're like, there's a real place called this. <laughs> I mean, it really happened. This is not a fairy tale, all right? This is not just some, you know, story. This is not, it's also not bedtime reading. It'll keep you on the edge of your seats when you read through this. It's like, wow, God, what are you up to? So there was a man in Caesarea. By the way, that name means Caesar, of course. It was a city that was built in his honor, and it was also his great escape. You know, he had to rule. If, if Caesar came or if the governor of Judea had to quickly escape, there was a port in Caesarea. So it was very Roman. And remember, at this point in time, Rome was not a friend of the church. So at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, and it was known as the Italian cohort. Now, how many people does a centurion have charge over? It's the number, century, a hundred. This guy's no dummy. He's no idiot. He also is a man of, you know, estate and power and has a, a kind of a probably a, a very important job to do. But here he is. He and his whole family were devout, God-fearing, and he gave generously to those in need, prayed to God regularly. But one day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision, and he distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, love that. 
You know, God just gets right to the point. Cornelius uses an angel to do it. And Cornelius stared at him in fear and says, What is it, Lord? The angel answers, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. Remember? Peter? So he's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel spoke to him and had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was with one of his attendants, and he told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. Okay, so now you got the context, right? They're about to go down. It's a, it's a little bit of a ways, by the way, uh, to walk that journey. We don't know if they walked it or they went by horse or how they got there, but in any case, they finally make it there. Now, I'm going to skip on ahead a little bit because Peter is praying in the meantime, he's showing up there in Joppa. Probably he's come down from Jerusalem. And he's hungry, and um, he has a vision. Uh, I always like to laugh here because he has a vision of food. Now, who of us don't have visions of food when we're hungry? But Okay, that's another matter. <laughs> God uses these things in mysterious ways sometimes. But he's praying around the same time the next day, and he's up on the rooftop, He's hungry, wants something to eat, and the meal is being prepared below, and he fell into a trance, we read, verse 11. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners, and it contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, you have to understand something here. This would be abhorrent for a Jew. You're talking about non-kosher food here. God shows him this vision of that which is forbidden by a, uh, you know, Torah-abiding Jew. And so Peter says, surely not, Lord. He thinks it's a test, of course, right? There's no way. And Peter replies, Peter further replies, I've never eaten anything uh, impure or unclean. I'm a good law-abiding Jew. I've kept your commandments, Lord. This is a test, I bet. Right, God? I won't do it. I will not succumb. So I've never eaten anything unclean or impure. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. That's a powerful verse. I'm going to read it again. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, this happens three times. I mean, he had kind of a thick head, I guess. It took him three times before he's convinced about this. All right? And I'm going to skip on ahead to where the next day actually... I'm sorry, why he's still thinking about the vision, the spirit said to him, Simon, go, there are three men looking for you. Go down and welcome them because I've sent them to you. And so he finds out about Cornelius. And the next day, they all start out together, and they go with some believers from Joppa up to Caesarea, okay, because the Lord has told him to do this, that there is this Roman who wants to hear more, this outsider, this foreigner, See where I'm going with this? See where God is going? Okay. So while talking with them, Peter went inside. Now they're back up in Caesarea. And they found a large gathering of people that Cornelius has brought together, his family and his friends and everyone. Remember, he's a man of importance. And he said to them, Peter says, 
you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate or visit a Gentile. In other words, I can't even go in your house without being defiled. You're an outsider. I'm not even supposed to, you know, schmooze with you, let alone eat with you, and I can't enter into your house, but he does. But God, because he says, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Amazing. This is where it starts to break open, folks. Because Peter is realizing that he had a bad attitude about people on the outside. That didn't count. That didn't fit his paradigm, his nice, cozy little box of what it meant to be on the inside, part of the, you know, covenant, part of the Torah, a Jew. But God says to him, do not call anything unclean that I have made. Do not call anyone impure or unclean that I have cleaned. So when he was sent for, I, uh, so when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. So may I ask why you sent for me? Tell me about it. Well, he goes on to tell him, of course. I'm going to skip on ahead because he realizes that what they're really looking for is the story of Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. They want to hear about it. And so he begins to talk. Peter begins to speak. I now realize how true it is that God, I'm on verse 34, does not show favoritism, or another translation says partiality, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. He accepts from every nation. This is a big deal, folks. You know, you're talking about the goyim here from the perspective of, you know, the covenant of the law of the Jews, everyone else are considered, you know, those who are on the outside. There's still, by the way, in Israel, those who are counted righteous among the nations. It is their way of designating that there might be a few who are like friends of the Jews (laughs) and have done some amazing things. Among them, you might remember uh, Schindler, like from Schindler's List. His grave is right there in Jerusalem. I went and visited it, and he's considered righteous among the nations. But, okay, so there's still this idea in Judaism of, of course, you have the Jews, the chosen children of God, and all these, you know, outsiders, the nations. Now, Peter's a Jew, so we're all 12 of the disciples. This is still a very Jewish, uh, uh, what I sometimes refer to to as a, a Jewish movement, a reform movement. They're not yet aware of what God really had planned. I mean, they hung out with Jesus for three years. They saw what happened, but they did not get the full context of how all the nations of the world would be drawn into a new covenant and made clean through the cross. Yes. Yeah. Right. Right, uh, that was uh, always in place. The, 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 the consideration of um, keeping the purity of the Mosaic law um, uh, was such that you would have uh, dietary restrictions as well as who you could pray with and how you might interact with people so that you made sure that your community was a, a kind of a tight-knit, pure community. Does so it, it, it does. It does. There is a little bit of a, a, a rub, shall we just say. Now, it doesn't mean when they say don't, uh, don't mistreat your neighbor, it's not saying that your neighbor is one of you. It's just saying don't mistreat them. So you might say, okay, uh, you can still call them 
you know, an outsider. They're not a child of the covenant. They haven't been bar mitzvahed or, or, or bat mitzvahed, but they are uh, to be um, um, not mistreated. There's a little bit of an anomaly and yet not. But what happens here is that gets blown wide open because now God is saying, who is your neighbor? It's all those people you thought were outsiders. And who do I want you to call and to minister to? It's all those, like Kojima-sensei in Japan, who welcomed me into this community. So when Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all who heard the message, verse 44. And the circumcised believers, you know, this is now the insiders, those who've done the deed and they're like the true blue, the, the card-carrying Jews who are completely, you know, um, uh, 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 pure and they've kept the Mosaic law by being circumcised and it's what keeps them uh, on the inside and everyone else on the outside. Okay, these circumcised believers who had come with Peter were blown away. Well, it says astonished, but you should read like totally blown away. (laughs) They could not believe what happened. How would God do such a thing? This is beyond their comprehension that God would care so much about uncircumcised, non-kosher keeping uh, uh, Gentiles, the goyim, the Romans, to allow the Holy Spirit to somehow fall on them. Have you ever been to a gathering of, of, I don't know, believers, where the modus operandi is, it's us versus the world. (laughs) Or it's like, pat ourselves on the back, we got this right, we're doing it the right way, versus uh, everyone else who has it wrong, shame. Well, that's not the gospel. That's not what God is doing in the early church here among these people, nor is it what he envisions, I believe, for all of us across Christendom, and that is to break open these doors and say all are welcome, including those who don't do it the way you do. In other words, the uncircumcised as well as the circumcised. So what does Peter do? The gift of the Holy Spirit is poured out on the Gentiles, it says, poured out even on Gentiles, verse 45. And so then Peter says, well, surely no one can stand in the way of them being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have, so he orders them all to be baptized in the name of Jesus. What I like about this, besides just a little FYI, is later on when we get into like the ordo and sort of the liturgics of church history, we get all caught up in things like, oh well, you're baptized first, then maybe you can receive the Holy Spirit. Or we're going to baptize in a particular way in the triune God, but here it even just says baptize in the name of Jesus. That was the first way they were baptized. It's a little out of usual nomenclature. But also, they received the Holy Spirit first. Do you think we can put God in a box? No, absolutely not. I love, I love the line out of the Narnia Chronicles, you know. He's not a tame lion. <laughs> Aslan is going to do what Aslan wants to do. God is not a tame God either. He will come charging recklessly after you. And if God wants to give you the Holy Spirit before you're baptized, well, that's up to God. Shame on us to think that somehow we have the formula right, that we think we have it all figured out, or that we're the in-group, and they're the out-group because they're doing it wrong. If you look at, Shirley, can I have a little water? If you look at, thanks, honey. If you look at... um, Church history, 
or a co- I guess I have a cough drop. Um, if you look at church history, you find that you have, it's rife with examples of people taking their bat and ball and going home. Did you know there's over 41,000 different denominations today? I know, I'm shocking you, aren't I? It's because we say, well, you're not doing it the way I think we ought to do it. I'm taking my bow and bat and going home, and we fail to recognize that maybe it's not up to us, but God, how he wants to do it. So who are we to say? Who are we to say? The work that God is doing in my life on a personal level is to get away from these things and to say what really matters is that you belong. And if you're here, it's clear that God called you here. I've been to this church. It's a wonderful house church many times. Why? Because we're not judging each other here. You come as you are. And you bring the beauty of who you are into this fellowship. Revelations 21 is a beautiful vision of what is to come, but it is also a vision of what we can begin to have here on earth as a Christian fellowship. I'm going to wrap up with this, and then I'll open up a little bit. But 21, if you will just take a look really um, briefly with me. Thank you, sweetheart. Revelation 21. You know, this is a beautiful um, vision that John has, my Zampatmos. And he, um, we, we all know 21 because it begins with this beautiful image of, he says, I, saw, I then saw a new heaven and a new earth. But the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. You know, the old order is gone. <clears throat> the the, the um, keeping kosher or the covenant in the particular way, that, that's just been blown out of the water. It's gone. I mean, if you want to do it, fine, but don't use that to, you know, hang an a axe over someone else's, uh, you know, life. It doesn't count. No more. The new covenant is a place where this new Jerusalem comes down from heaven. It is a place where the lamb is at the center. But the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and there's no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Now, I know we know the rest of that very well, but I want you to skip on ahead to 22 because this, for me, gets skipped over too much. You need to look at this. What's in the middle of the city? Yes, a river coming from the Lamb, but there's no temple. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. Where are we made clean? Where is the impurity washed away? All are welcomed into this city, but it is the lamb and his blood that washes us. And nothing that has been washed should ever be called impure. I don't know if you have had experiences like me where you've been told you're an alien, you don't belong. It doesn't take growing up in Japan, friends, to have an experience like that. It may be that as you were growing up, or even now today in your lives, 
we are fed lies like you don't count. You really haven't measured up. You don't look like the rest of us. You don't wear the right clothes or drive the right car or have the right address or the right job or even in the right job, the right department. Or maybe you don't even have the job that you think you should be having. Or maybe people just have discounted you and discarded you and said, you're an alien. The new Jerusalem and the new kingdom and the community of faith that God erupts from 2,000 years ago is this beautiful vision where the gates are open 24-7 and all are welcomed in. For we read from 24, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. And on that day, will its gates, I'm sorry, on no day will its gates ever be shut for there will be no night there and the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. What I want to close with is this. The glory and the honor of the goyim, <laughs> the glory and the honor of people who are the misfits, the glory and the honor of people who grew up overseas, the glory and the honor of the people who are living right here, and that includes every single one of you, whoever thought maybe I had nothing to give or to contribute because I don't look the right way or I don't dress the right way or I speak the right language or I, I have this little issue in my life, whatever it may be, and I'm ashamed. I don't know how to handle that. I'm hiding it. You know how many people come to church hiding? I've been one. I was weeping in tears a moment ago when we came to communion just hearing that story that Nate told, and I, I, I had forgotten that, Nate. God shows up in unexpected ways because he wants you to know he's present in your life, accepting you. And you are a person with something to offer and to give this community, whoever you are, whoever you are. You know, my life's been that way. There are times that I go, really, God? And, and yet somehow he's faithful, accepting me and you and all of us. And the glory of who God made us to be is what we offer back to him. Why? Because nothing that God has made and redeemed is to be called impure, as if it doesn't count. Okay? All are welcome. There is no more outsider. We've all been created in this beautiful, diverse array. I know I, I, I shared with you, I traveled around the world. One of the things that, that really impressed me as I went from community of faith to community of faith is just how different we are. And you know what? That's a good thing. Do you imagine how boring life would be if we all looked the same? <laughs> it would be really boring. Or if we all spoke the same language or had the same you know, way of life or, or, or values or cultures or whatever it may be or things that we did or that got us excited. Or the, 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 the real beauty of this diversity is that it reflects, I believe, the incredible imagination of the divine, that God would be so splendid in his creation to make this vast array of people important enough to be part of his family, the kingdom of God, the new Jerusalem. Now, I know I've spoken probably too long, but if you have just a couple comments or questions or, or, or reactions or anything, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to discuss 
And of course, I know we have lunch too, and you can you can get me in a corner later if you want. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. I know. I know. I know. That's a really good point. What do? Yeah. That's a really good question. I know. It's true. And we're an immigrant nation, aren't we? Yeah. 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 No, it, it's a great question, and it's one I struggle with a lot. And we will have as many different opinions on this as there are people in our room here and lives. Um, I don't claim to uh, ha have the mind of God on this, but what I can say is I do, I believe, stand on solid ground when I say in God's kingdom, there is no outsider. And the new Jerusalem will be without walls. And what we have today in gatherings such as this is fancy word from seminary, but proleptic. It's kind of a here but not yet. It's a foretaste. It will not be, but that doesn't mean we can just say, oh, well, I guess we don't have to do anything then. But it is, so what I would charge us to do as communities of faith is to continue to welcome all. Even while there are the social, economic, and the cultural, and the national kinds of boundary issues and things that we have to work through on a political plane, and I encourage you all to kind of be active and passionate about that as well, but don't mix us up. Don't mix it up. One is a spiritual. The other is probably a more material uh, issue. But they, they do certainly connect to, to, to each other. So I'm not trying to be dismissive of the, of, of, of the issue. I think we have to be engaged in the world and a part of it, certainly as Christians, salt and light. I engage you. But I'm going to say this, that we will never get it right until we have the new kingdom completely, you know, fully um, here, the, the proleptic. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I absolutely know what you mean. It's one of the reasons why I um, kind of got upset with the the uh, tradition that I uh, was a part of. I've, I've really had a place in my life where I, I, it's unhelpful finally to, I think, have these labels. And, and, and it doesn't adequately express the fullness of who we are, even denominationally. I think it's about Jesus. You know, the, the, the closer I get to the grave, the more I kind of want to leave behind the, 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 the categories. So as my dad would say, uh, you know, don't get so excited about all the flavors on earth because in heaven there is not going to be this, right? But I want to get to your qu uh, question, but Shirley, you wanted to answer something? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, right. Right, right, right. That's right. 
Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's exactly right. I believe that true uh, Christian dialogue is where we uh, listen. We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. We need to listen more than we speak. I think it's really important to understand people and ask why this is what it is for them. And, and, and here's, I think, a little help that's been helpful for me. No, number one, Jesus welcomed the sinner and then said, sin no more. So I think it's really important to have that as a paradigm for us. To, to be, you may have a sexual orientation that for me is difficult, that trips me up a little bit. I'm still going to love you and welcome you into my fellowship here and trust the Holy Spirit. That, that, the, that the, you know, you said it, I think I heard you over saying, it's the accuser of the brethren that wants to accuse and say, you bat, 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 bat. We, we don't need to do that. They're already saying that to themselves. We all are saying it to ourselves. What we need to hear is Jesus saying, you are a beautiful person that I created with, yes, the blemishes and the flaws and the, and, and the difficulties, uh, but, you know, the spirit will convict us, okay? It's, it's not going to accuse us. It will convict us, and I believe we have to trust the spirit to do that. I find it interesting that our Lord primarily worked in those ways. In fact, he didn't even, as far as sexual orientation, uh, I'm kind of conservative, so I'll just let you know that. My kids are not, so we have great dialogue about this because they represent the newer generation that says, yeah, but dad, it's just what it is. So, I, so we have that dialogue, but we dialogue about it. Okay? Uh, um, but I think the really important thing to, to remember is that Jesus welcomed all. And in fact, he didn't even address this issue that we have a record of at least. So I think we can take a cue from our Lord and say what's really important is to bring them into the family and let the spirit do you know, the, the rest. Okay, question? Yes. Yeah. Love is a powerful thing, David. I often say it's beyond my pay grade when people ask me, and I don't mean that as a cop-out, but I really do believe it's, you know, some of these things I, I leave to the big man upstairs, and I just kind of, 
uh, remember my job is to to love and and to be present to people. Uh, I, you know, as as uh, Papa Francesco said recently, who am I to judge if someone is truly seeking the mind of God, you know, and seeking His will? Was the second thing you wanted to say? Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. Absolutely right. Yeah, I, I th also think that those, no, we, we're actually brother-in-law, uh, cousins-in-law, cousin-in-law, yeah, 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 no, he, uh, David is married to my double cousin, Marie, yeah, yeah, Marie is my cousin, yeah, okay, uh, is, is anything else on your hearts or mind, I'm going to be here, and are we going to end with prayer, or what would you like to do, Paul, okay,
God's putting his name on you. He's claiming you. He's, he's blessing you. And uh, that's how we'll end. And then we'll disperse and hopefully you're able to come upstairs. I'm just going to look quickly over and see if there's did we miss anybody? Uh, I don't know this gentleman here. Lindsay, who is this? Thank you.